0: Welcome to Three Things. Absolutely delighted to welcome our guest, Quentin Letts. Quentin is an author, a British parliamentary sketch writer and theatre critic who has written for the Daily Telegraph, Daily Mail, numerous magazines, and now writes for the Times and Sunday Times. He is also a regular guest on numerous shows, including the BBC's Any Questions, where his answers usually achieve the loudest laughs and a fair few boos. Impish and fiercely independent, Quentin uses the English language as a cartoon. How does he describe the current government investigation into 10 Downing Street's alleged Christmas parties in the 2020 lockdown? Part pantomime, part Pink Panther, Inspector Clouseau is on the case. A prolific author, Quinton's work includes 50 People Who Buggered Up Britain, Patronizing Bastards, and most recently Stop Bloody Bossing Me About. How we need to stop being told what to do. Quentin's mission is to harass, tickle, and tease the politicians and poo bars allegedly in charge, and he does so with a happy irreverence. I am really looking forward to these three things. So welcome, Quentin. What a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, Charles. I'm just gonna get straight to the news item of the moment. We have our own Christmas pantomime going on. And this is from the lens of 9,000 miles away. There's a panto at number 10. The UK is an uproar generally. Omicron or Omicron seems to be rocketing. Tell us what's going on. You know, what what are your views on the UK as of right now, December 2021?
1: Well, I wouldn't overstate it because some people are mutinous, certainly. Yeah. Some people are resigned and are not paying much attention to the politicians and just think that they no longer say anything that makes sense or that's honest. And some people are living in terror. Mm. And it tends to be slightly older people, I think, living in terror. And that to me is slightly sinister what's gone on there. But it's a mixed picture, I say. And I think the media is probably getting a little bit more excited than. Right, in the
0: rest of the country,
1: <laughs> heaven end But I don't think it's going all the
0: way yeah. of the politicians at the moment. If we can hypothesise, so you're sitting in number 10 and you're advising our prime minister. What would you tell him if, and the team, what would you tell them if you could? What would your advice be?
1: Well, this is possibly being said to him anyway, but I would say let people make up their own minds and you will not succeed in beating coronavirus, if you simply do it by government edict, you've got to take the people with you. As far as beating coronavirus goes, I'm no scientist. But it seems to me that it doesn't seem to be working. Whatever's (laughs) been happening around the world, disease spreads. And so the attempts to lock people down are completely fruitless. And I go back to that thing I said, let people make up their own minds.
0: You mentioned sort of that especially the elderly group might be feeling very concerned, but have you noticed a change
1: well, they are not doing lockdown at the moment. The last time, there was far more in the way of restrictions on our liberty, but they're still nibbling at it. Right? Okay. They are. They're trying to spook us a bit. Yeah. And they're trying to make us feel as though it's a dangerous time. Undoubtedly, there is some danger from this virus, but we don't know how much danger. And there are some reports suggesting that Omicron is much less dangerous than previous strands of this disease. So. Uh, who knows? Who we've knows? got to go on living our lives.
0: We've got to go on being human. And that has been the disaster for me of the last year. So, Quentin, this show is called Three Things. And it's the the premise is what are the three things that if we could, we would go back and tell our twenty-one year old self or thereabouts. So thinking of that from your lens, what would be the one thing you wish you could say to a younger Quentin Letts? Uh,
1: mistrust authority. <laughs>
0: There is a theme coming out of this discussion, by the way.
1: (laughs) Don't believe the blighters. I was brought up, I should explain, in a very, not not quite established household, but a very trusting household. Right. My parents ran a prep school in Gloucestershire, and uh, we were great believers in queen and country. Yeah. And uh, my grandfathers were both war heroes. One was wounded three times on the Western Front in the First World War. The second one landed six hours before D-Day. He was an engineer. He landed with a case of champagne and a dog. And a suitcase full of banknotes, he had to go ahead and pay compensation for a farmer's okay. because the land was going to be rent. Anyway, so we were great supporters of institutions. And I was brought up in the 60s and 70s. We used to shout at the television, shout at <laughs> trade unionists on that the television practice. because they were a threat to my father's business. Yeah. We ran a private school. So when Len Murray or Harold Wilson came on the television, we all used to scream and shout at them. Arthur's Garden as well.
0: Right, okay. Then
1: two things happened to change my opinion a bit slightly (laughs) about that. One was the Birmingham Six case, where six Irishmen were put away wrongly for an alleged IRA uh, attack. And the convictions were plainly wrong. And Chris Mullin, a Labour MP, campaigned on that issue. And the other thing that changed my mind a bit about authority was the whole Princess Diana business. Mm. I wasn't a supporter of Princess Diana. I thought she was a bit flaky. But I could see that the palace was behaving in a slightly silly way, a right. uh, snooty way. And also, I was on the Daily Telegraph at the time, and my editor, Matt Tasting, went on air uh, to harumph that royal reporters were getting it all wrong in what they were reporting about Princess Diana, and he compared them to a bunch of brothel pianists.
0: Okay. <laughs> and That's it turned first. out, That's actually, okay. that
1: the royal <laughs> reporters were actually spot on. Andrew Morton was telling the truth. And the scale's lifted slightly from my eyes as far as trusting everything about the establishment. So those were the two things. And I think that as you get older, you become a bit more sceptical
0: At yeah. the people who are telling you off the whole time. So trust some people, trust nobody, or just be sceptical? What would you say is the takeaway from your first thing? I think be sceptical of people
1: striking positions and poses. And this is certainly in politics. I'm not saying mistrust people in private life, sure. because that would be awful. Yeah, that would make life That very would be soul-destroying. <laughs> but that, I think, certainly as far as the public figures go, and certainly this is something perhaps in your part of Asia to bear in mind as yeah. well, that power passes and the great emperors and rulers and presidents will not last forever. You yeah. know, they, they will become mouldy old bones and other people will follow.
0: In their place. Well, I mean, Interesting to see, just looking at the UK, and what a difference a year makes.
1: It used to be that the Blairites were going to last forever. And then it was going to be that the Cameroons were going to last forever.
0: And yep. you know, these things pick over. Your most recent book is called Stop Bloody Bossing Me About, which might actually link nicely back with the, your first thing. And the term I'd never heard, which I love, is bossocrat. And the phrase that really resonated, which is reasonable people have had enough of being bossed about. And when reasonable people stop respecting the law, society has a problem. Where do you think we are in the UK on that calibration at the moment?
1: Well, Britain is an unusual case because... There is, I think, quite widespread disregard for authority. But the the way that we do that isn't by rebelling and taking to the streets and chucking uh, stones through windows. It's by taking the mickey out of people. (laughs) And humour is the great alleviating factor. And it's also an extenuating factor as well. Although Boris Johnson's in trouble at the moment, I think that he is generally a humorous figure. It means that we are not quite so angry. Well, we may be angry, but we're not so bitter about it, Mm. we might be. But humour is a great alleviating factor. And I mean, there are only really three relieving factors in life. One is humour, uh, one is sex, and one is death. <laughs> but I think uh, there has been this problem with authority. And to me, the most irritating symbol of this finger-wagging at the moment are the masks that we're being mm. told to wear. The scientific evidence for masks is mixed, let yeah. us put it. Yeah. No more stronger than that. They are used as symbols of compliance and of authority and I that they're probably terrible vectors of economic decline. But people say, you know, if you don't wear one, then you yourself are a vector of the disease. I don't buy it.
0: Well, there was an interesting clip I saw of one unmasked chap on the tube really lecturing all the mask wearers, because where we are, it is compulsory. And there's a very different, without going down the mask road, you know, it's different over here, because we've had lots of issues that's required the masks. But well, there's, well a, there's a longer um, culture it.
1: of mask wearing in, exactly. in the East, isn't there? But I mean, these things, they drive me, I, I, I'm <laughs> asthmatic. I, Should I, I put like... on
0: my mask now? Would that help? We could, it would spook me. It's a good thing that we're not on video, right? <laughs> I was at church yesterday and the vicar was wearing a mask to
1: give us communion. I refused to go up. It's in the way. There's no point taking communion in my mind.
0: So you've obviously built a terrific career doing what you do. In so, the uh, early stages, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, were there any other candidates in terms of career choice?
1: My father wanted me to take over the prep school from him, and I would have done that happily. I don't know how good I'd have been at it, but I'm certainly interested in education. But the other thing that I would have done, I think, would have been hotel business or running pubs. I used to work at pubs. I was a busman once. I didn't really. I read back. that actually, yeah. But I really enjoyed working behind bars and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And my there was on my mother's side of the family there was a long strand of uh, hoteliers in the 1800s my mother's side of the family were rather successful Maltese hoteliers in
0: paris okay (laughs) there's always a fallback if needed you can just hop over magnificent (laughs)
1: uh, sponge bag trousers and shiny shoes an ingratiating manner
0: (laughs) so a lot of what you talk about i think is if i make this right and what you write about is things that obviously bother you irritate you annoy you what makes you really really happy
1: well, sometimes the idiots, okay, <laughs> bossing us about, make me happy because they make me laugh. The House of Commons, although it can enrage you, mm. the theatre of it is tremendously funny sometimes. I mean, family, of course, walking the dog, yeah. living in Herefordshire, yeah. singing hymns, okay, of singing hymns
0: without a mask, and obviously, beer. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All of which you've got lots of in Herefordshire, we both know it very well. But
1: If I come back, Charles, to, just to the yeah, bossiness thing. Please. The thing to bear in mind is a lot of this bossiness is being done for the convenience, or not of the public, the convenience of the people of the bossocracy.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And a lot of people are making tremendous amount of money out of this. I'm not just talking about the people who have been making millions out of testing and out of making masks. But also, the, I mean, the doctors have been making a mint recently out yeah. of giving us dabs. And also, if you look more widely at the whole sort of car protection industry, people who are giving courses about uh, child protection tend to be ex but with a slightly overbearing manner. And they do very nicely out of that. It's really nice of learner. Health and safety is a tremendous
0: field. It's become an industry in its right. own right. Yeah, it was before, right? And now it's gone to a whole new sort of vortex. A whole new level. Yeah. I
1: once was making a, a film for Panorama about health and safety. I went on a ladder course,
0: learning how to use a ladder. What, well, go up it?
1: Isn't that the general idea? The man teaching us went up it and he his head on the <laughs> ceiling. It was the funniest moment. The BBC wouldn't let us use that clip. They felt it was unfair That's funny. for this man <laughs> who is being paid to run a course. But I just think that there's a whole sort of section of society now making a living out of bossing us about.
0: That reminds me of the clip of the government minister talking about road safety when the car crashed right in the background. I don't know if you've <laughs> seen that. But if you could find that ladder clip in the BBC archives, please put it on the Internet. <laughs> as a Christmas present to everybody. So we spoke about your first thing. And again, this is all about what advice would we give our younger selves. So if you were to then talk to younger Quentin about the second thing that you wish he could have known, what would the second thing be?
1: second thing would be borrow more. (laughs) Specifically? (laughs) And this is partly a housing thing, which is a very British obsession. So as a youngster, I wish I'd borrowed more money to buy a flat in London or whatever. It's rather bigger than that. That's a very narrow interpretation, borrow more. It's not just about bank loans. I mean, be a little bit more daring, take more risks. Don't always cling to nurse for fear of finding something worse. And I suppose I mean things like marry younger, which i would married younger, which we'd had children younger, commit earlier. But also, I think, worry a bit less about the daily chores and mm. be a bit more, borrow more on circumstance and chance and take a flyer sometimes write more fiction. Those are the sort of things I
0: mean. Don't be so hidebound. So now we'll move from looking backwards and now we're looking forwards. How are you feeling about 22? What's sort of personally, professionally, what is your take on that? Where do you think we're headed?
1: I think we're heading for more freedom. I don't think they can keep this finger wagging up. I think it's going to result in terrible economic problems, unfortunately. Mm. But I think on the whole, it'll revert to where we were about a month ago in Britain, where things were great. Yeah. In Britain a uh, month ago, we were really sort of steaming towards freedom. There's just been this little bit of a setback, but I think it's only going to be a, true, a temporary thing. And I think Tony Blair's catch theme from the old days, things can only get better.
0: Yeah, I do remember that. I think that's, <laughs> but I think politicians and songs, there's a bit of a legacy there. So on that, a book about a decade ago that you wrote, you published, was 50 People Who Buggered Up Britain. Yeah, more than that, 14 years ago. 14 years ago. So I'm going to now throw it wide open. And if I had to sort of suggest any characters for the next edition of this who you're seeing at the moment, any favourite choices to be included in the next version?
1: Well, the main candidate would be Professor Neil Ferguson, okay. a epidemiologist who said that we were going to lose uh, seven times more people right. died or something like that, and completely overstated the, the dangers. Well, he not overstated, but his, his graphs proved, proved to be wrong. Mercifully. Right. He's one of the ones who went off during the time when he was recommending the lockdown, social distancing, and he was hopping into bed with another cat wife. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's a hypocrite. Fancy that.
0: Yeah. They've always been hypocrites. Has, has it always life. been thus? Because I just... It's always. Just... I mean, there's nothing new here, really, is there?
1: There's nothing here new at all. If you think back to medieval popes, they were tremendously getting
0: off and getting giggly with other
1: cardinals' wives. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If you look at the Dark Ages, you would have seen kings behaving extremely badly. You would have had communist dictators in the past, places like Cuba and Africa, who had bank accounts in Switzerland.
0: Politicians have always been esteeming hypocrites, and it will always be that way. So we were chatting earlier about some of the, I called it uh, visual humour, and I think you had another expression for it, which was... Cartooning. exact words as cartoons. And where does that come from? Because you use structures that I haven't seen anywhere else, and frankly, they're hilarious. But do they just pop in, or do they require a lot of work?
1: Some days it flows a bit easier than others. Yeah. You know, Welsh questions on a wet Thursday uh, can be (laughs) (laughs) so going. Actually, no, that's sometimes easier than Prime Minister's Questions. It's hellish to write about because it's been done every week. So you try and get away from the tyranny of Prime Minister's Questions. I don't know. The thing about a sketch writer, is that we're just trying to cartoon politicians. You look at the way, not looking at policy at all. Right. Not looking really at detail of arguments, but looking at character. You look at the way that they walk and they talk and uh, the quirks and foibles of their character. And character really matters in politics. Mm. It's, it's character that drives votes, I think, much more than policy. And you can tell someone's character, hey, I, I hope I can, quite quickly, uh, and you can spot it. And that will stay with them for life or throughout their political career. I knew Boris Johnson very early when he was at the Daily Telegraph. He came a refugee from the Times. I knew him when he was uh, 25 or something like that. And I had a secretary called Maureen, who was an elderly lady, who used to ride in on the bus with Boris every day at the top of the bus. He adored Boris. Boris adored her. Mm -hmm. He got nothing out of her. She wasn't rich. She wasn't influential. She was left-wing. She had no use to him at all. But Boris was really kind to Maureen. And I thought that said something mm. decent about him, mm. but perhaps isn't being seen at the moment, but he
0: was, he was a regular guy. But that's interesting what you said about you can spot the details, you can tell someone's character. What are the signs that you're looking for over your career? What Are there any commonalities that this person is a good one and this person is not?
1: Well, how stroppy they get when they've been teased. John Major was very, very stroppy. And I was sketching John Major, the start of John Major's premiership for the Big Telegraph, and I called him dreary. And Max Hastings pulled me in, and there had been a complaint from Major about this. Uh, He'd just become prime minister. He was complaining about me, right, calling him dreary. And Hastings said to me, You can't call the prime minister dreary. I said, Well, why not? He is. And Max said, Yes, I know he is, but you should have called him (laughs) unexciting. actually quite a clever observation because it's factual rather than uh, subjective. But more important in the commons, not the people who laugh, it's the people who don't laugh. Mm. And that's what's interesting sometimes, and particularly if things are going against them and they get very, very angry, then that tells you something about the slightly indignation is tremendously interesting in a politician.
0: So being able to laugh at yourself is important, yeah. right? I don't know how important it is in German politics. I don't know how important it is in Hong Kong politics. That's a whole new podcast, Quentin. We'll save it. We'll save it. In British politics, <laughs> if you don't have the ability to laugh yourself yeah. much as anything else, yeah. I think you're a goner. Is there any other foibles that are important to observe? I
1: suppose it's just the sort of aura of charisma. Mm. And it's interesting because some people have it and some people don't. Tony Blair certainly had it. Uh, maybe he had it because he was going to be prime minister and then became prime minister with a tremendous majority. Mm. But he did have a sort of sheen around him. A bit like the boy in the Ready Break adverts. You suddenly knew that this person (laughs) had something. You know, had a bit of showbiz about it. Mrs Thatcher had it and David Cameron had it. Mm. Boris has got it. I'm not sure that Ed Miliband ever had it. Funnily enough, I thought his brother had it a bit more. And maybe one of the tragedies of the Labour Party recently has been that the wrong Miliband became leader. But you can somehow just tell whether they're going to hit it off the middle of the battle.
0: I think it is that classic X factor, isn't it? It's that one thing about an individual that is just different I'm noticing the people you mentioned. Uh, I think they all have that certain something, which is, you know, you can tell. Uh,
1: and, and Sarkozy had it.
0: Mrs. Merkel didn't have
1: it, funnily enough. I, I was very close to her once. And, uh, she lasted longer than and, all of them. So you know, At a press you know. conference. So just uh, it may be a very unreliable rule. <laughs> My goodness, she was a star. And I tell you, there's a Chinese politician who had it. Uh, well, Premier Lee uh, came to London. And there was a press conference in a Magnificent Hall at the Foreign Office, where the Chinese press call came in all looking exactly the same, uh, suits, all wearing exactly the same suits. Yeah. And then we looked at the British press store, we were untidy. We sat down and the sketch writers were at the front and we started, somebody made a joke and we started, three or four of us, started laughing uncontrollably. And <laughs> um, David Cameron slightly frowned at us. Premier Lee looked at us and there was a nasty moment where it could have gone either way. Right. But then he started laughing and I thought, good for you, mate. I really warmed to him. Yeah. And that was a moment when you suddenly saw he was able to rise above the conformity of his system. Mm-hmm. It was very much on the other side of the room with all the Chinese press corps. And there was a moment when I suddenly thought, you know, there's a proper politician. Yeah. I suppose my third great cabinet that I've been down from Mount Sinai for you <laughs> is that little changes. And the right. thing to bear in mind in life is that very little we can achieve yeah. will make any significant difference.
0: Yeah.
1: Because... I've just been to a play recently called Best of Enemies about the 1968 debates in America between William Buckley and Gore Vidal. Okay. Buckley was on the right, Vidal was on the left. The arguments they had are almost exactly the same as the arguments now between right and left. So right. very little has changed, and very little ever will change, because mm. mankind will always be flawed and will consist of sort of crooks and our fleets and soft hearts and depresses and
0: gourmands and, and hermits. These types would always exist. Well, it's what kind of keeps it interesting as well, right? That would be, you know... because if you'd gone to the Roman Senate in ancient
1: Rome, I, I bet it was chaos. It was a bunch of Italians. All these idea, the sort of nippon idea of Rome being a base of order, I don't buy at all. But you would have found exactly the same people in the Roman Senate we find in the House of Commons today. There would have been... The windbags, there would have been the terrible bore. These are human types. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think anything is ever going to change. If you'd gone to ancient Egypt...
0: It would have been the same. <laughs>
1: you would have found, you know, Cleopatra and, and Antony, you know, there's a sort of modern Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, perhaps. Then you would have found people telling you what to do. You would have found clipboard jockeys, the jobs works lower yep. down yep. the line, who really love finger wagging. They've had a tremendous couple of years. And you would have also found some people
0: who are resisting the orders, you know, disobedient people. But all of this means you'll be in business forever because there will never be a shortage of material. There will never be something not to write about and laugh about. So I think that's got to bode very well for what you do, right? (laughs) I (laughs) hope I'm not going to be in business forever because I want to retire. Uh, Somebody else in my,
1: well, you know, there's plenty of mileage in this game.
0: So... The one question we ask our guests as we come to the end of the show, which amazingly enough, time has flown. What is the one thing that you could not live without? So we give you shelter, we give you family, we even throw in beer, okay? So you can take that one off the table. But what is it that you couldn't live without? Mince pies. Okay. (laughs) That's a new one. Basically, no, but no,
1: (laughs) much more seriously. My wife. Okay. She's a church organist, she's very clever, she reads nothing I write we've had three wonderful children and you know if you don't have somebody in your life i think it must be very miserable so there that's the first time i've been declared in public my luxuriousness
0: well that's really lovely and how's christmas looking do you have a traditional christmas are you lots of people what's happening this year
1: well i do all the cooking because she's a church organ and she's very busy
0: i was going to say she's probably other things going on on christmas morning right
1: <laughs> uh, between christmas eve and christmas day there's about five services in 24 hours so i don't see much of <laughs> over christmas
0: i was reading your last article in fact all of them but i just changing here slightly when you look at that blank screen and you're starting to write and again there's been a lot of great stuff to report on Do the words just flow do they appear by themselves or where does that come from god no. well you've got a deadline so you have to get it done
1: it's nowadays six hundred and fifty words column. It used okay. to be when I was on the Daily Mail, it was six hundred and sixty-six words. Six six six. That's very appropriate. <laughs> One tries to avoid cliché, and if a cliché is popping up, then you try and tweak it a bit. And the other day I was cross because the subs changed something. I'd said not the sharpest spoon, and somebody <laughs> changed it back to sharpest knife. But it's funny I have to say something's not the sharpest spoon. But you just try to get the f- copy in on time. But if you don't, the column won't appear. So it's it's just it's necessity.
0: I can't believe. Our time is up. Quentin Letts, I'd just like to say from all of us at Three Things, you've been a fabulous guest. Thank you for finding the time. And if it's not too early to say, have a very happy Christmas. Thank you. And you. Thank you again, Quentin. What a show. Covered a huge arc from Tony Blair, Boris Johnson, and all points in between right back to medieval times. A really great show. Thank you very much. So we are closing out 2021 would really love to thank all our guests who've listened to three things over the months. We've got a few more shows lined up. There will be some surprises. So to everyone who listens to this show would really like to say from our production team. And from me, we appreciate it. Please keep listening. Please keep reviewing. We're getting thousands and thousands of downloads now, which means we're connecting. And that makes us really, really happy. We've got some really special guests lined up for you and we've got a few christmas presents lined up as well so wishing you all the very best keep listening to three things and from me charles lancaster thank you very much